Turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I wanted to come through this text tonight. Uh, so much encouraging words in this text that I think are beneficial for us. And, and um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the title of the message, title of the lesson. The Lord is my shepherd. It comes right from verse number one. And um, let's, let's read the text together. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup run overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this uh, particular psalm is probably the most well-known and most read of all the psalms in the book of Psalms. Even many unbelievers in the world around us have heard of this psalm, and you hear it referenced. You hear it referenced even in movies. You know, if they're having a graveside service, they're reading usually Psalm 23. And uh, really, this psalm is not about death and depression, although there's some context that could be beneficial to the ones who are living. But this, this psalm itself is a living psalm. And especially as you follow it in the flow of chapter 22, 23, and 24, the shepherd psalms, as many would call them, uh, this is a, a psalm of life and a psalm of God's goodness and uh, it's one that's very encouraging to us. It's one that I think is, uh, though it's very short and concise, it is very deep in the truth that it communicates to us. And uh, so let's look, we're going to look at it together tonight. Uh, it's something that's edifying to the people of God. Uh, and one reason it is, is because we're the sheep of God, aren't we? As his people. And he is our shepherd. And so as his sheep, we can easily be drawn away in our hearts, in um, different directions through the, through the things of the world around us. We can easily be overcome by fear, worry, uh, anxiety, doubt, temptation. But our shepherd wants us to remember who we are and who he is. And so we're going to look at this just for a moment tonight. That I look at, Just point out some brief things. It's not going to be an exhaustive exposition of all that we could bring out. Uh, but I want to bring out a few things that would just give us an overview of this psalm. Notice with me, number one tonight, the person who is the shepherd. The person who is the shepherd. And who is the shepherd? I point this out for significance. Why don't you see that God Almighty is the shepherd of his people? God Almighty is the shepherd of his people. Now look at verse 1. He says, this is David writing. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now I read that and I just have to pause and ponder on just that truth alone. The Lord is my shepherd. That statement alone is full of comfort and gives us great confidence. You say, well, why is that? Because of who the Lord is and the personal relation that this applies to the believer and who we are in relation to him. So you remember David is writing this psalm. He's an Israelite. He's one of God's, uh, God's chosen people under the Old Covenant. But he wasn't just an Israelite outwardly, was he? He was also an Israelite inwardly. And that's very important when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament because that, uh, just because you were born an Israelite didn't mean that you were saved and going to heaven. One had to believe. One had to have faith. And so uh, this is where we see that principle taught in the New Testament and in the Old because many Israelites were unregenerate because they did not know the Lord by faith. But David does know the Lord by faith. And this is significant because this is 
who his shepherding act and application applies to. It is the people of God. It is his own people. So here's what we see with this. In this sense, he plainly acknowledges the Lord as his shepherd. And who is the Lord in this? He is God. He is God. And as God, he is, he is infinite in his characteristics and his attributes and all that he is. He is perfect. And so he's the very epitome of what a perfect shepherd would be. We don't have a shepherd over our lives that is flawed in any way. Every kind of earthly shepherd that we may think of in this world is flawed in various ways. Uh, and spiritually, but also you, you think of even physical shepherds, they're, they're flawed. So, so God here, we see who he is as our shepherd. The psalmist said in Psalm 100 in verse 3, he says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, I, for one, love that imagery. I love the imagery of the shepherd-sheep relationship because there's a lot of application and things you learn from it as you come through this psalm. And so when we think of the imagery of sheep and shepherd, we know that the sheep, that sheep desperately need a shepherd, don't they? Sheep can't really survive on their own, can they? If you look at the natural comparison of sheep, sheep are very weak animals. They are helpless animals. They easily wander astray, putting themselves in danger. And when I think about sheep and how they are, it sounds a lot like a description of me. I don't know if you've seen the video on, uh, on Facebook, but there's a video of this guy rescuing a sheep from a ditch, and it's a steep, di- it's a steep ditch. He pulls him out, he's pulling him out. He pulls the sheep out, and the sheep's out free. The sheep runs and prances off and jumps right back in again. <laughs> and and uh, it's, it's a hilarious video because some have edited, and, uh, edited it and said, this is me when God rescues me, and then you know how I'm, I'm so foolish to do the same thing again. Uh, but that's how they are. That's how we are. We, 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 like sheep, we're weak and helpless in and of ourselves. How prone we are to wander astray by our own flesh and by the allurements of the world or be downcast by the things that we see going on in the world. We need a shepherd who is capable and compassionate and is committed to the sheep. And God himself is that shepherd. He is the perfect, the perfect shepherd. He is committed to his sheep. You know why he's committed to his sheep? Because he has has chosen his sheep from eternity past. He has redeemed his sheep in redemptive history. And he will see to it that his sheep are with him all the way into their eternal home. Jesus said it this way in John 10, 11. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for who? The sheep. The sheep. Now, understand that not all are sheep. Some are goats. Goats don't turn into sheep. Sheep are sheep. They need to be rescued. And so, not only are we purchased by Christ with his redemption, but we see with our shepherd that he's also very personal to us. And this is something that really touches me when I consider this, is that we're not like one sheep among many sheep just blending in with no real recognition, right? We look at a crowd, and you just see a bunch of faces, but you don't know them, you're not close to them, you know, you know there's, there's just a bunch of faces. That's not how it is with God. God is very personal and intricately woven into the individual lives of every single one of his sheep. And think about the billions of sheep that God has. If it's even, it's probably more than billions, but you just think about living at one time on earth, millions I say, all over the world, and wherever they may be, Africa, Russia, wherever, here in America, 
And God is the same shepherd over each and every one of them as he is of us. And he's simultaneously, intricately involved in their life, caring for them as a shepherd does his sheep. That's, that's comforting for us. That's comforting to us in our, in our life as believers. That's a, this is the very personal approach of David that I, that I love to point out. You notice that David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So if you're saying that statement, you can claim that same thing as a Christian. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just a shepherd or the shepherd out there somewhere. He's mine. He is my shepherd. Jesus kind of applied this too in John 10, 3. John 10 teaches a lot about this shepherd-sheep relationship, but he, he talks about the gatekeeper. He says, to, to him the gatekeeper opens. Listen to this. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by what? By name. Not just some kind of number like you would cattle, right? He calls them by name. Calls us by name and leads them out. God calls his sheep by name. So we think about how awesome our shepherd is here. So we see the person who is the shepherd. Notice with number two, we see the provision of the shepherd. We see more of who he is and what he does on behalf of the sheep. We see the provision of the shepherd. First thing I'll point out about this is that God provides the needs for his sheep. You'll notice that he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. What does it mean to want? Well, the word here can refer to to decrease, to lessen, to be few, to be empty, to be lacking. In this context and application, it means that God's sheep will never be lacking what they need. They'll never be lacking what they need. Now, they may not always have what they desire in the sense of want in our human sense, but the word want here is not about wants versus needs. It's about lacking need. God's sheep will never be lacking what they truly need. Because God is the one who provides for them. Now, often we can become fearful and anxious because there's an immediate need or a need we see for, for forthcoming in the future. And maybe we're fretting about how that need is going to be met or how I'm going to make it through today or whatever it is that comes to your mind. But what do we learn from this passage? We ought not to fret because of who God is as our shepherd. He plainly tells us we're his sheep. We shall not want with him. David also said this in Psalm 37, 25. He said, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. That's an application to the Lord's provision. Jesus teaches plainly on this. I know I've preached this passage last year sometime, but let's just read it for reference sake. Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew 6 and verse 25 through verse 34 Matthew 6 and verse 25 through verse 34. This one's a great text when it comes to worry and about needs and anxiety about future and different things of that nature. But Jesus teaches here, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I don't know about you, but I have to constantly remind myself of that passage, right? Because it's easy to get caught up in the world, what life is bringing us, and we're anxious and worrisome about those things. But Jesus is basically expounding what David says in his sh- about the sheep that shall not want. He, Jesus, what, what good does it do to be anxious about tomorrow, about what you're going to eat, about what clothes you're going to put on, about how long your life is going to be? Can, can, you be, can, can you add to your life by worrying about how long your life is? No. So, so this anxiousness, this worry, it, it consumes a person. Really, it, it really hinders their life. Spurgeon rightly said it this way. He said, a daily portion is really all we need. We do not need tomorrow's supply, for that day has not yet dawned, and it needs, its needs are still unborn. So our natural tendency is to worry about what we are worried about, right? What are we going to have? What we need? But since the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. I, have no, I will have no lack in the moment that I need what God provides. Notice that God provides not only uh, the needs for the sheep, He also provides rest for His sheep. Rest for His sheep. You notice verse 2 of Psalm 23. Notice that David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is a provision of rest. Now, you notice the sheep are made to lie down. Now, how renewing is it just to lie down for a moment? <laughs> I feel like i got to do that at least once a day. Some people have to take a nap. I call mine a cat nap. I'm about 10 minutes, just a little bit of rest, and then I'm up and at it again, right? That's a physical rest. But notice our shepherd, he makes the sheep lie down. He makes the sheep lie down. Well, why? Well, sheep, unlike other animals, they're very anxious, and they're not going to rest well with unsettled intrusions around them and their environment. They have to be made to rest by being in the right place and having the design of the shepherd over them. You know, oftentimes that's one of the challenges of of our kids, making our kids take a nap. If it's obvious that they need a nap, and usually know when it's obvious because they're usually cranky or just out of control, right? Uh, they usually need to, they need to rest, or if they don't feel good. So we've got to make them go lay down. But what's the shepherd do here? You notice that his presence and the provision he gives the sheep gives them ability to rest. The green pastures, the still waters, not only is that good for their nourishment as far as eating, providing their needs, but it's also a, a, a scene, a restful scene that we see here. Soothing, peaceful, something the Lord only can do. And here's the reality is that knowing the Lord, knowing Him as our shepherd, is what truly allows us to rest as we ought to, both physically and internally in our mind, in our spirit. David wrote this in Psalm 4.8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. Why? For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So when you, you feel unsafe and you're uneasy about things, you don't sleep well, Right? Just like one of our kids, if there's a bad thunderstorm at night, their jubilee's up. She's kind of worrisome. So she comes into bed at 2 o'clock, and she'll lay down right next to Dad, and then she'll go back to sleep. And then eventually the storm passes, and I have to say, okay, it's time to go back to bed. 
because I haven't really got to sleep much since you've been here. But she's, she's at ease because she's right next to Dad, even though all around it's storming and loud and lightning and all of that sort of thing. And in a spiritual sense, here's the reality is that, that, that as, as, as God's sheep, we have his presence at all times. We don't have to fear anything. And because we know him, we can be at rest. You see, without the Lord as our shepherd, we all have reason uh, we, we all have reason in this world not to rest and be anxious and troubled about everything under the sun. If you didn't know the Lord, what do you know about life under the sun? Really, anything can happen, and you're at risk. There's, what, what hope do you have, right? People today are so fretful about everything they see under the sun because they don't know the Lord. But the Lord provides the great opportunity to rest as we ought to. The green pastures, the still waters that we see in this scene, they satisfy the needs. They provide an environment for rest because the shepherd is with them. We need our minds to remember these truths if we're to rest peacefully in him through a tumultuous life. I've always loved this verse in Isaiah. I think I quoted it last week. I didn't read it to you, but Isaiah 26.3, the prophet writes, he says, you, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So there's, there's two things that are crucial there to that peace, the thinking and the trust, thinking and trust. What are we thinking about? Where's our mind fixed, and do we trust in the Lord? So instead of worrying and being robbed of our rest, we fix our minds on, and our hearts on the shepherd who gives us rest, and ultimately, here's the greater big picture of this, is that we as God's people, as God's sheep, we can rest peacefully in this world knowing that even if we do leave this world today, we have an eternal rest in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's what we ultimately look forward to, isn't it? Hebrews 4, 9 through 10. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also entered, rested from his works as God did from his. Now, while there's been an earthly application of the Sabbath we see in Scripture, Ultimately, you understand that points to the eternal Sabbath of resting in Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our rest. Notice within number three, the path of the shepherd. The path of the shepherd. You notice that God leads his sheep to restoration. Notice verse three. He says, he restores my soul. Restores my soul. Why do sheep need restoration? Well, sheep are prone to be cast. Quote, unquote. That's an old English shepherd's term that's used to describe a sheep that has turned over on its back and it can't get up by itself again. They get in a stuck position that will bring them harm if not corrected. If they're out there by themselves and they get cast, they can just die. So if a sheep is cast and the shepherd does not arrive, he's in great danger. And often in our life, we become cast. We become stuck in a position, something that's hurtful to us or damaging to us. It could be that temptations of sin have gripped us and we feel cast, we feel stuck because we're weighed with guilt and we're weighed with shame and, and even discipline. It could be that trials have stricken us and that's caused us to be cast. We feel stuck, we feel on our back and unable to get up. But our shepherd seeks to restore his sheep back to their feet so they can continue walking with him as they ought to. David said it this way in Psalm 42, 11. We know he went through many times where he was troubled and felt stuck through his trials. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? 
And why are you in turmoil? Why are you in turmoil within me? He says, Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So when you find yourself cast down, you feel cast in this position, we're called to call on the shepherd because he's the one who restores. He brings new life to us. Not in the sense that we're getting saved again, but there's renewal in our mind, in our heart, in our focus. Could be that sin has cast us down. What should we do when we think about our sin and how weighty it is? I'll tell you what to do. Run to Calvary. Look there. Look there. If you think your sin is, 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 is too big to be done away, you're wrong. Look to Calvary. You see, Christ there, 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 there at the cross, Christ, the good shepherd, as we read in John 10, laid down his life for the sheep, bearing their iniquity on the cross. And he bore all of their iniquity, not just some when you were at this age or that age, but all their iniquity, past, present, and future. I'll never be able to fathom that. Can you? The fact that Christ bore every sin of the life of Joseph Allen on himself 2,000 years ago. He bore it all. And so since he's paid for your sin with his blood, he's guaranteed your forgiveness. And so while we are, we are attributed righteousness, the moment we're converted, we're, we're righteous before God, you understand we're still going to struggle in our flesh and sin in our flesh. There is still forgiveness for those things. 1 John 1, 9, John wrote to the Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you feel cast down in sin? Come afresh. Come afresh to the fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins. And know the joy of forgiveness of your sin when you feel cast down. Repent of it and rejoice in the forgiveness that he gives. William Bridge rightly says this, Let not your sense of sin quench your joy of pardon. And I think that does happen quite a bit. There is great joy in the pardon he gives. Letter B, God leads his sheep, to righteousness. You know, it's verse 3, the second part here, what does he say? He says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Our shepherd's always going to lead us towards the path of righteousness. If you're headed towards the path of unrighteousness, you're not following the shepherd like you ought to be. So you can't claim, well, I'm following God and I'm living in sin. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. There are a lot of people that convince themselves of that today, that they think, well, I'm, I'm just fine. I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, I got saved a long time ago, but I'm just, God's fine with this. No, he's not. The way of righteousness is the way in which we're meant to go. It's the plain way before God's sheep. But we, our problem is, we are predisposed not to follow such a path, are we? Our flesh yearns for the unrighteous way. The hard way, if you would say. If you find yourself wandering that way, we need to take note. Because this, this is how humanity got into, the trouble, into trouble in the first place. Isaiah 53, 6, the great passage on Christ's death, says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was the original problem. But praise God that Christ has called his sheep back into himself through his sacrifice, through the gospel, and he leads them in the way that is righteous. He says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd. So in our Christian conversion, understand I mentioned this, God has not only imputed to our account the righteousness of Christ before him, 
but he is also working in us, in his sheep, to live righteously by his grace through this life. He has changed us. He is molding us more into the image of his son. And I, for one, am truly thankful the Lord has not just let his sheep wander without pulling them back. Aren't you? How often have we wandered? Now, sometimes the Lord may allow you to wander so you learn a hard lesson. How'd you enjoy that route? Didn't work out too good, did it? Jonah, I think, is a good example, except Jonah, he was so hard-hearted, I don't know if he ever repented. But he never abandons his sheep in their rebellion. He refuses to let them go. He's paid for them, and he doesn't let go of what he's paid for. He can't do it. It's an impossibility. Brian Chappell said this, when God says, I will never leave you alone, he's not only promising his continuing presence, he is promising holy confrontation when we abandon him. And that is true. I'm thankful for that. He'll guard, guide his sheep to the right path. Notice with the number four, the presence of the shepherd. The presence of the shepherd. And here's a great truth. All of these, all of these truths I, I bring to you, they're, I think they're comforting to the believer. This one is too. It's very simple. It's that God is always present with his sheep. He's never not present with his sheep. Verse 4. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice this path goes through the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are often typical of hardship, trial, suffering, affliction, even death itself. And notice what it says here. These three little, these four little words, I better count right. You are with me. That, that's it. Through the valley of the shadow of death, what's he say? You are with me. Those four words are comforting beyond measure to me. How comforting is it with you to, for you to have someone with you when you're going somewhere, going through something? We don't like to do things alone, especially hard things, right? It's a lot better when you have someone with you. And here's what we find is that God here, through David, says that he is with his people, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Is there a greater presence to be with us than the Lord himself? Can you think of a better one? I don't think we can. Here's another great passage I'll reference, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 going to read this with me you're probably already there i catch you turning ahead of time before we get there because you know it's coming you thought i didn't notice but i did <laughs> hebrews 13 5 and 6 notice what he says keep in mind the context here who's who's paul writing to he's writing to christians that are in the valley of the shadow of death they're under persecution for christ's sake and he tells them in verse 5, says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. It would have been easy, I guess, or easier for these Jews, these Christian Jews, to just say, you know what? Let's just go back and blend in with Judaism and we'll have our wealth back and everything else. Because you remember in Hebrews, they say they plundered their stuff, took away their possessions, and they joyfully allowed it to happen. It had been easier to go back that route. But the author says, remember this, he said, he said this, the Lord, 
I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And because God has said that, there's a confidence in the Christian, a confidence that the Christian has that the Lord is our helper. and We do not have to fear what man can do to us. That's a wonderful promise. And we, we think about God's presence. Of course, His presence is everywhere. Psalm 139.7, David wrote, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? I mean, that's, that's true, right? But what, when, what we're looking at Psalm 23, we're not talking about just His general presence in His omnipresence. Psalm 23 is about a very personal, relational presence with His sheep. Just as He calls you by name, so He is with you. With you. Paul knew this personally. Through his own valleys of the shadow of death, he endured. He describes those valleys in, in 2 Corinthians 4, all the sufferings and things he, he, he endured. But notice what he said. He said that he was persecuted but not what? Forsaken. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not what? Destroyed. You read later in his letters, he says there's one point when everybody abandoned him, but then there's that line that says, but the Lord was with me. But the Lord was with me. So it's an enduring comfort to know the presence of our shepherd is with us no matter where we are or what we're going through. Notice with the letter B that God also protects his sheep from, from destruction. He protects them from destruction. You notice in verse 5, you notice he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Are, are there enemies to the sheep of God, to God's people? Absolutely there are. One of the repeated themes throughout David's writings is his conflict with his enemies that seek to destroy him. Psalm 27, 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Again, he says in Psalm 59, 1, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Perhaps you felt the pressure of an enemy in some form, some kind of an opposition, some kind of an oppression. We all do, and why is that? Because we are sheep, and there is a powerful predator at work against his people. I read this last week, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't think it's coincidence that he's pictured as a lion, right? You remember David as he described rescuing his sheep from certain predators? What was one of those predators? A lion, right? And also a bear. And so Satan's portrayed in this way. And what's he seek to do? To devour the sheep. Now, if Satan had his way, sure, he would devour each and every one of us. But guess what? There's something restraining him from doing that. It's called the shepherd. God is the sovereign shepherd. And here's the great truth for you, Christian, that even the enemy, you may be afraid of an, the, how Satan might work against you, even the enemy is limited to the sovereign hand of God. He cannot go beyond that. Job is an example of that. God is the one who recommended Job to Satan. You ever wonder about that? It wasn't Satan who said, hey, can I have Job? It was God who said, how about Job? But Job had a limitation. Satan had a limitation by God's sovereign hand. You can only do this, this, and this, but you can't take his life. And we all know how it was for a purpose, a greater good. And we see the big, big picture of the story with Job. But you understand the big picture of the story of Job is meant to be a correlation to the reality of life of Christians. 
that God's sovereign over them and he's working in them and all things are working for our good and for his glory, as we see in just a moment. But here's what you and I can rejoice in. We can rejoice that we have a, protect, a shepherd that watches over us and he protects us. And lastly, number five, we see the prospering of the shepherd. Two quick things. I want you to see that God prospers his sheep according to his providence. You notice that in verse 5 he says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. See, when the shepherd leads the sheep in the summer, there's usually an increase of some annoying and sometimes dangerous bugs and pests that can do damage to the sheep's health, causing great infection. To combat this, guess what the shepherd does? He applies a certain oil to their head to protect their life and to prosper the sheep, to comfort the sheep. This helps prosper them so they'll continue eating, they'll continue living, they'll continue producing what the shepherd needs. And so God seeks to prosper his sheep in this life. Now understand, this is not a modern-day prosperity form of gospel. Prosperity preachers have hijacked the gospel for their own evil gain. They don't preach a real gospel. But there is such a thing as God prospering his people. Not in the sense that you have your own airplane, but in the sense that he provides for you and cares for you. Listen to John 10, 10. Jesus said in that same context with the sheep, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. See, the abundant life can only come from the shepherd, and he blesses his people in this way. Look at this. David says, my cup overflows. It's not just half full. It's not even just full. It overflows. And when we think about that as Christians, we who are saved, we know that God's grace has given us exceedingly above all that we could ever deserve or imagine. Ephesians 1, right? Blessed be God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our cup overflows. Our cup overflows. We think about this quote. I don't remember who said it, but he said, His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. For of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives and giveth and giveth again. I don't, believe, I don't deserve salvation, let alone even the daily blessings that he gives us, his protection, his provision, all of it. So we see how he prospers his sheep. But letter B, you notice that God is always good to his sheep all the way to the end. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at what follows the Christian all the days of his life. What are the two things he says follows the Christian all the days of his life? Goodness and mercy. Do you believe that? We should. We experience it in our life every day, goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy. And even when times are bad, guess what? We still get goodness and mercy. When you have the worst day of your life, guess what you still are a recipient of? Goodness and mercy. Romans 8, 28, it's quoted so often. Every Christian ought to have this memorized as much as they hear it quoted, right? We know that, all, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good those who are called according to his purpose. That's the providence of God. Philip Keller is one who writes on this shepherd psalm quite a bit, but he said this, 
For the one who is in Christ's care, no difficulty can arise, no dilemma emerge, no seeming disaster descend on a life without eventual good coming out of the chaos. Because that's how God works. He's a God who is our God forever. He is a God who is never going to cease to be our God. And God is good, and He works things for good. Psalm 48, 14 says this, David writes that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And I like how the King James translates it also. It says, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Death forever means on into eternity. So there we find there's an appointed appointed time. Not only is God good to us in this life, but the greatest goodness of all is the fact that even beyond this life, guess where we're going? We're going to be in his presence. Jesus said in John 14 to his disciples, I'll read this final passage and then we'll pray. John 14, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you, will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, as his sheep, I find great comfort in the fact that he's prepared a place for me. There's a room for me in the Father's house. There's a room for all of God's elect in the Father's house. There's not going to be any empty chairs. So we think about this great shepherd psalm, and it, 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 could, it could be expounded so much more deeper. I may someday do that. I may do a series on Psalm 23 itself. But I want to encourage you with just a few reminders of who our shepherd is and our relationship to him as his sheep, and hope that these things will comfort us and encourage us in our Christian life this week. 